Blog Talk Radio. Loading Erica's podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Live from New York City, it's the Erica Finn Show. And your host who gets up close and personal with celebrities from the stage and beyond, Erica Finn. Hi, everyone. I'm Erica. Welcome to the show. I am here tonight with composer and recording artist Lucy Simon. Lucy began her career at the age of 16, singing folk songs with her sister Carly as the duo The Simon Sisters. While raising two children, she co-wrote and produced In Harmony, a Sesame Street record, and In Harmony 2, both of which won Grammy Awards. Lucy made her Broadway debut in 1991 as the composer of The Secret Garden, for which she received Tony and Drama Desk nomination, the Drama Log Award, and a Grammy nomination for the recording of the score. Currently, she's the composer of the music behind the new Broadway musical Dr. Zhivago, which is set to open on Broadway on April 21st. Lucy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm delighted to be with you. This is such an exciting time for me and for our our collaborators on Dr. Zhivago because it's been such a long journey, and we're just getting into the theater now, and it's really an exciting time. Yeah, so how did, um, let me say it's been a long journey, how did Dr. Zhivago originate? Um, I think I'm the responsible partner <laughs> because I uh-huh. um after the Secret Garden, uh, which I so adored and so adored doing, I thought I, I realized that you cannot commit yourself to doing a musical. It's such a huge undertaking unless you really love the property. So I thought, now what am I going to love as much as I've loved the Secret Garden? And I've always been interested in the in the musical palette and the emotional texture of Russian literature. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do something that's Russian. And I sort of went through my favorites, you know, the um, the, the usual suspects, Anna Karenina, War, War and Peace, uh, Crime and Punishment, Brothers K. Um, and I thought, no, no, that's just too huge and too tragic. I can't do that. And then I thought about Dr. Zhivago, which was, you know, I, I knew as a as a film um, uh, and watched the movie again. I said, no, I can't possibly do it. And I read the book and I said, no, I can't possibly do it. And I read the book a second time. And it's not easy <laughs> to read that book, I tell you. And then I was captured by the fact that the last chapter of Dr. Zhivago are 25 lyric poems that Pasternak, um, as Dr. Zhivago, wrote about the events of the novel, so it was it was telling the story in a different form, in the in the form of poetry that he had done the um, the prose novel, and I thought that's what that's what composers do. We write songs um, to capture the essence of what is happening. So that was sort of my first step of yeah, I think I can do this, and then I um, then I went to try to get the rights for it, which was, you know, which was quite wonderful. And, and I did. I, I, went, I went to Owen Laster, who was the head of, of William Morris at that point, the, the literary agency. And, um, you know, I said, I, I really wanted to do this. And it happens that the rights were owned by the Feltrinelli family. Feltrinelli was the publisher who um, took the, the manuscript and, and 
took it out of the country and went under under wraps and published it in Italy. It was very devoted to getting this done. It was a, it was a huge undertaking. My father was a publisher. He was the the um, founder and publisher co-publisher of Simon and Schuster, and also a man very devoted to his his authors. He was a publisher actually of the of the most um, accessible War and Peace, um, and he published. Will Durant. He published the history of the Russian Revolution of Trotsky. So I sort of came with that pedigree. And and um, Owen Laster said, okay. <laughs> so I got the rights, and I got a, got a producer to do it. And it's it's been a very long journey because it's it's a huge project. And my initial enthusiasm of just oh my god, and I started with melodies that just came out of the the book and I was so excited but it's a huge undertaking so it's it's you know I mean what captures the majority of people in the film and in the um in the musical and in in the novel is the love story between between Zhivago and Lara um but it's it's really about the five main characters who uh, there are three women who love one man and two women um who, I'm I mean, three men who love one woman and two women who love one man, and that's the that's the center of the emotional um, story. It's also about the creation of art and being able to overcome the enormous upheaval of war and revolution, and that lasts with art and with love, and that's the the main message that I find exhilarating. It's the uh, rebirth. It's the continuity of life past death through art and love. Okay, now I know it have. hasn't opened in previews yet. Have you yeah. have you been able to go have you have you been able to see a run through yet and see it? Oh sure. You, know, all your, you have, yeah. Oh yeah. From start to finish. Not mm-hmm. on the stage. I mean we just finished in the in the uh, rehearsal room uh last Saturday we had the had the run through and it was it was really quite thrilling. Um and it's you know it's when you've been with something for so long to te- to see it take shape and sort of go from sort of these sketches to sort of a black and white blueprint to then becoming technicolor you know it's really very exciting and i've i'm i'm very happy with it oh it has to be incredible i mean you're seeing your your baby that you've developed you right. Know, I mean, the mu- music is everything. I mean, music for me is everything. It's like the most power. That's where all the emotion comes from. Um, that I believe. How that do you? The, yeah. How do you even start compose? Like when you sit down and say, "Okay, you know, you have all the rights now. It's it's time to start composing this music." Where do you start? How do you get your ideas of of what you want the sound it to sound like? Well, first of all, I have to sort of get into each of the characters to see if I can find their voice. And so I, um, you know, with with Lara, I'll find a, a melody that feels right for that moment. Um, there's a song in in our musical called When the Music Played, and it's, a, um, it's the, the point where she's, it's on her wedding night, and she has to tell Pasha, that she is not a virgin, that she's had an affair with this man Kamarovsky, and it is a devastating revelation to Pasha. 
Um, it's done differently in the book and differently in the in the film, but we have her singing this song to Pasha that when the music played, the world would fade away and I'd sail through the... And she dances. She has this image of Komarovsky and she was just swept off her feet. And then she has to tell Pasha that it was sort of like black magic. And she asks him to forgive her. And she says, can we have the music play for us in our life? Well, that sounds pretty pretty corny. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have described it in that way. But it, it's a way of no. finding her voice and the waltz that that captured her, that seduced her, that she had with Komarovsky. And when she sings this waltz, she's melting into the memory of it. And in fact, Des mm. staged it with Komarovsky coming into their into their bedroom in her imagination and waltzing with her. And it, it's it's really quite wonderful. But I had to find where Lara's voice lay and what she was trying to say. And I, my, my main instrument of, of songwriting is as a singer. So I, I, I start with a melody. I, I often don't even sit at the piano and do it. I just sort of feel the way it should go. And I feel, I feel it from my, my throat, which is the communication instrument. And so what, what, what's sort of interesting is I, I have a, a wide range so that when I'm singing, uh, when I'm cr- trying to create songs for men, I go down into my lower range. And it, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't create a song for Zhivago in my soprano range. It just doesn't work. So, um, so it, it, it goes down there. <laughs> And, uh, and then when <laughs> when I do duets, I do it. You know, I go, um, I go from my lower range. You were always there, and then I go beyond the dark. So I I go into the soprano range when I'm singing the soprano, and and the and, yeah, and when it gets to be quintets, it gets to be you know kind of funny on my on my multi-track recorder. <laughs> But that's how I do it, and I, I find the voices within the voices. Now, as you as you start um, composing, do you then run certain songs by the director or producer? Like, is it a kind of a collaborative effort in terms of like, okay, you know, this is good, but we're you know the director's thinking more of this in terms of this scene. Like, is it a collaborative thing, or do you just sit down and just get all your um, creative energies out and it, then totally and then collaborative them. totally collaborative mm-hmm. um i am not we, I, i've written so many songs for this musical and we sort of go through what does this work does that work do we take part of this and put it in there do we completely start over and yeah no i mean des Mackinoff is an amazing director because he's very much involved every step of the way um so um yeah we have a lot of trial and error and what's sort of interesting is as the cast comes in as like Kamutu who's our, our Yuri Zhivago has a way of acting and expressing and some of the um, some of the phrases that I've written for the character of Yuri Zhivago get altered by the way he wants to um, perform it and that's a very exciting part of this that you sort of um, um, tailor it to the to the actor's vocabulary and emotion and and particular vocal style. How has been composing 
Zhivago been different from uh, your first experience with Secret Garden? The Secret Garden was just came a lot more easily. Um, a simpler novel, a, you know, a novel of 250 pages written for a young audience, and a and a novel of 550 pages, dense, dense. Wow. Um, prose and poetry, yeah. It was just finding the right voices and telling the right story because there's so much story in Zhivago and it's not written in linear fashion. So the the you know, the the task of, of Michael Weller to find the right blueprint and tell the right um elements of the story was an enormous task. And that was his first thing. I mean he sat down and wrote um an outline before we really started writing um, the the script and the score to go with it. So when I said that when the music played, that came early on when we because we we knew that we wanted to have that moment um, of of the the marriage of of Lara and Pasha be interrupted by this revelation that Pasha mm. couldn't tolerate, and that was the event that led him to become a revolutionary. He couldn't bear it that his beloved, the beautiful Lara, who really symbolized the the motherland, was defiled by this um, bourgeois tyrant. And he rebelled against that, and that made him want to start a revolution. <laughs> so he becomes a revolutionary from from that moment on um and that's um that's a, a a starting point of the of the show what's the hardest part about being a composer oh what an interesting question um it, when you don't have the outlet is the hardest part um because it's taken so long to to bring this from the page to the stage, there are a lot of months that go by when I just don't, I, I don't have the um, the outlet and it sort of sits in my, in my living room, <laughs> you know, on my tape recorder. And then it's, it's when it explodes with actors performing it, 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 that's great. And, you know, the bumps along the way, there are huge amount of bumps and, you sort of expect, oh my God, that now it's time now, and then it isn't. Then there are there are, um, you know, theater availabilities and and working with actors that you want and Des's schedule, which is huge because of his enormous success uh, with Jersey Boys and being the head of the Shakespeare Festival in in Toronto and all of the other commitments that he has. That to find the time when we're all available and the theater is available, that's been that's been the hardest part. As a composer, I'm just sort of constantly writing. Um, it's you know I, I I find that I'm a my my strength is translating emotion and character. That's what I go for. And so when you say what is the frustrating part, the thrilling part is when that works, when I've, I've written something that just says, oh, my God, that's that's it. That's the moment that I'm looking for. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure that's an incredible feeling. What happens when you get, because I'm sure this happens to you because it happens to everyone, writer's block. 
and you need to get something done and you're having a moment of writer's block, how do you um, overcome that? Well, for one thing, you leave the piano and you mm. um, you take long walks in the park. You take showers, <laughs> and um, and you just sort of get past it. I find I find um, physical exercise to be the best way to get beyond it. Um, one of the writer's blocks that I found that I got into was once we got started of the. Of, of the terror of the responsibility of it. It would sort of hit me, oh my God, what have I taken on? Am I nuts? Can I write? You know, what is it? And and that was hard to get through, and I sort of went through a period of, you know, having to meditate and having to um, just sort of take steps backwards. But then you sort of get into the rhythm of it, and you say, well, just stop being self-conscious about it and do what comes out of the... Um, out of the source that you can rely on, which is sort of a, an emotional inner strength. And when you lose that, it's terrifying, and you just have to get back to that core. What instruments do you play? Um, well, as I said, the primary one is my voice. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do play the piano, and um, and I play guitar, And uh, but I it's it's my voice that is, is the main instrument, because that's... That's the one that best communicates emotion because it comes. I mean, if you're if you're a singer and you understand singing, it starts from it starts from your you know your diaphragm and it comes right up through your core into your vocal cords and takes over your takes over your being. And so that's that's my primary instrument. But I, you know, the piano is of is. You know the the one that gives me the the harmonies and the chords and the and the rhythmic feel. Right, because you started out your career, you know, at sixteen in a duo singing um, with your sister, the Simon Sisters. How did that come about? Um, my, my family was incredibly musical, um, and we sang mm-hmm. from the time we were very little. Um, uh, there's another third Simon sister, who's Joanna, um, who was an opera singer for many years uh but she uh when she was in in high school she was in the choir it was an all girls school so she would bring back um three part harmonies and um we sort of fell into the the vocal range carly was um um the low voice joanna was the middle voice i was the high voice so we started singing three part harmonies and got to the feel of each other's voices and then um, when Carly and I, uh, Joanna went the, the more classical operatic route, and Carly and I started singing folk songs, and we immediately went into the wanting to harmonize with each other. It was a very natural thing for us to do. So um, my the first song that I ever wrote was Wink and Blink and a Nod, and I wrote that because I have, um, I'm dyslexic, so I have a hard time memorizing things. So we had to, I had to um memorize and recite a, a poem in class and I, th- I thought it's just hard for me to memorize a poem, but I immediately put a melody to it. So that worked beautifully and I memorized the the poem. Mm. I tried not to sing it in class, but that was the song and then Carly and I were singing it and we harmonized it and we decided, "Oh, wouldn't it be fun to to sing together?" So we did. And um and it was really quite wonderful. Our, our first 
our first gig was in Provincetown. We went on our summer vacation to with our our one guitar, and we decided we would sing for our supper. <laughs> and we went went around <laughs> and we got a got a job at a place called the Moors. And we rented a little rooming house for fifty dollars a week, and we would hitch our way to the Moors <laughs> and sing our few songs. And a, a, a lovely story that we love to tell is when we were we were hitching our way. It was about a mile and a half down down a, a road um, to the te- the restaurant, um, and we would hitch that the two, two girls in our matching dresses and carrying guitar and our high heels, and people would pass us. And we said, "How could they pass two girls with a guitar?" And we would say, sort of in our in our angry sense of outrage we'll see you at the moors which meant that if they had dinner at the moors and they realized they were passing up <laughs> the singing talent they would feel so stupid <laughs> so that's been a sort of a phrase that carly and i use for each other when we're sort of you know at opening night or or you know oh, a, a, an event we'll see you at the moors right <laughs> and how did you guys decide on folk music well, that's what I mean. It was the '60s, so that was um, you know mm-hmm, we were mm-hmm. we were in that arena, and and also you know folk music was was a, a a simple, beautiful, pure melodic form which fit our sensibility at that time well, and then it sort of grew into folk rock, and then Carly went the the route of of folk rock into wonderful singer-songwriter um, musical mode as I got married and had children. So it was a, a very nice sort of way for her to to develop her own voice, which she did, and she's, you know, she's extraordinary. And then I, I went into... Yeah, extraordinary. And then I found that I, I did a couple of singer-songwriter albums, and I didn't really have as original voice as I would like to have had because, you know, you're married, you have children, how much are you going to write about that? <laughs> so I decided <laughs> that I wanted to to write for the theater, so I, I then went in that direction. Um, and I guess The Secret Garden, well, I, di- I did the children's albums when I was raising my children, um, the In Harmony albums. I, I got um, other writers who wanted to express their their the child side of them to write something for a children's album for the it was a a, a project I did for Sesame Street and uh, the the idea was that it would be it, it that the albums were called in harmony and we would work with each other we would write songs for each other and we would sing for each other and that was it was just a wonderful collaboration between artists and and uh, you know the desire to do something for our children. Um, and that that won Grammys. We did two albums of those. And then when I got to be a little bit older, I wanted to step out of the family arena. Well, I first first did. I mean, The Secret Garden was perfect because it was um, it was about finding your own voice as a child. I had written, you know, while I was sort of learning my craft as a as a writer for theater, I had wanted to do The Little House on the Prairie, which was something that I watched with my children, and I really got into the spirit of that, and I wrote a whole score, which sure. was wonderful, but but didn't work because we couldn't find the the book to go along with the wonderful score. Um, 
so then it was this it was the work that I did for Little House on the Prairie that led me to the Secret Garden and led Marsha Norman and Heidi Landisman uh, to to say, okay, let's see what you could do for the Secret Garden, and so that's that's how that became my first musical. Did you go to the theater much growing up? Oh yeah, I sure did. Was, mm-hmm. I sure did. Was, I mean, one of my my father's authors were uh, George Gershwin and and, and um, Oscar Hammerstein, along with you know Will Durant and 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 Tolstoy and Trotsky. Um, wow. He, yeah, he was. The, actually, my father's first publication was the Schnabel edition of of the Beethoven Sonatas. So music and art and literature was very much intertwined in my life. Um, and um, you know, Arthur Schwartz uh, was one of our closest friends, and he would come and he would sing his scores for the bandwagon, and and um, and then you know, uh, Oscar Hammerstein would come to our little children's productions <laughs> tolerated sitting through our, our you know our childish plays but it was a great a great breeding ground for uh, for the Simon sisters as as singers and and writers we never thought of being writers in those days that was just it was just singing and then we found we had our own musical voices so that was a it was a wonderful step for us now how old are your children now um, my grandchildren <laughs> go from oh, age wow. seven, <laughs> seven to to twelve. So my children are adults and parents, mm-hmm. and and all the children are musical. I just got a video of my my daughter lives in California, and I got a video of her seven year old daughter sitting at the piano singing a rock song. <laughs> you know, it's really uh-huh. thrilling, just thrilling. That must be neat to see. Yeah, that must be really neat to see. <laughs> and Carly's children, of course, Ben Taylor is a fabulous singer and songwriter, and, and Sally is a wonderful singer, and my daughter Julie is an amazing singer, and my son Jamie is a great pianist and a guitarist. They don't do it professionally, but they're just brilliant. It sounds like you're so, all very close family. We are, indeed. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It's very nice. Um a great if you weren't a composer, what would you be doing? Can you even oh, imagine? What, is, what <laughs> an interesting question. Um, I'd probably be a doctor. I was very much into healing arts. Or I'd be doing something with children um, because I care very much about the development of the human spirit and nurturing that. I, I think that's why the Secret Garden so appealed to me. Um, but it would have to I do can totally see that. You have that you have that demeanor, you have that energy that I can even sense in our conversation for sure. Um I oh, go to you, good. you're a doctor. <laughs> oh thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you would like to tell your fifteen year old self? Trust yourself. Listen to yourself. Mm. Admire yourself. Love yourself. Be generous. Mm. My my um. 
I'm not, I have no formal religion. And in my talking to my children about it, I never taught them any religion. Um, my, My husband's family was Jewish, but we never felt that we needed to follow any tradition. My mother was grew up in in a convent she was a catholic so it just sort of it was not it was never a formal a formalized religion that we that we um grew up with or imparted to our children but what i did impart was my religion is is the golden rule and that's just such an easy thing to follow um and if if you know what it is how you want to be treated in the world with respect with dignity that's how you treat other people and that's that's you know the, if I have any rules in my life and and impart that to my children and my grandchildren, that's an easy one to follow and quite basic and underestimated for sure um, very much so, very much so. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Absolutely. <clears throat> that tells you a lot that tells you a lot how to how to go about being a person in the world and and what your responsibility is and i think we each individually have a responsibility to the world and other people in it and it it grows it's sort of like you know you you throw a pebble into a lake and you see it ripple out and if we throw um uh, an emotion a a a a piece of goodness into the world it will ripple out and it comes back to you yep. And what people don't always realize either is, I mean, I feel, it's, if you feel better too. Like, I feel better when I know that I've treated others the way they deserve to be treated. You know? It's, exactly. It goes both ways. Yeah. It sure does. And I guess as a life coach, that's what you do. Probably mm-hmm. very much so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, it's almost time to go. But before we go, I have a little game I like to play with my guests. It's called uh-huh. 60 Seconds Speed Through, and I'm just going to rapid-fire some, some questions at you. They're easy questions. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> and we'll see how many we can get through. Okay. Open hour. You ready? <laughs> yes, <go ahead. laughs> All right, here we go. Oceans or mountains? Oceans 11. Uh. <laughs> Cats or dogs? What? Cats or dogs? You like cats or dogs? I love dogs. Mm, me too. Uh, are you an early bird or a night owl? Early? Here I am, five in the morning, the sun comes through the windows. One word that describes your experience working on Dr. Zivago. Can I give you two? Exhilarating? <laughs> All right, sure. Or a fun. <laughs> What's the second one? Terrifying. Oh. <laughs> Exhilarating uh, and terrifying. Uh huh. New York City or L.A.? New York City, Central Park. Mm-hmm. How do you de-stress? Walk through Central Park. Mm. Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel? Oh, I love them both. Me too. Me too. It's a hard one. <laughs> Would you rather be invisible or able to fly? Oh, flying. I've dream of flying. Ah. One way you live life to the fullest every day. 
I breathe in. I breathe in and I. What? Breathe in. I breathe in. You breathe in. Yes. Breathing. Hmm. That's sixty seconds. Okay. Good job, Lucy. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with me today. This has been so nice. Thank you so much. uh, for everyone listening, go see Dr. Zhivago at the Broadway Theater in New York City. Preview started March 27th. Tickets are on sale now, so go get yours today. Thanks for tuning in to the Erica Finn Show. Follow us on Twitter at Erica Finn for behind-the-scenes pics and stories. I hope you have a great night. We will see you next time. You have been listening to The Erica Finn Show. We would love to hear from you. Contact the show with any guest requests or comments at Show at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter.